This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. Universities are handing out more master's degrees today than ever before. Uh, According to the recent uh, New York Times report on this, uh, these degrees are opening up new opportunities in the job market uh, for many U.S. students. But there's a catch. The price tag can be high, as much as $43,000 a year, despite the fact that the MA degree does not have all the fancy residential and sports facilities that have become the hallmark of the leading undergraduate programs. But now, one can get a master's degree in computer science, one of the most valuable degrees out there, for as little as $510 a class, as long as one is willing to take the course online. To find out more about this disruptive innovation in higher education, I have with me today my colleague Josh Goodman, a professor at the Harvard Kennedy School, who's been studying the breathtaking events at Georgia Tech which has launched an online training program at the master's degree level in computer science. Josh, it's great to have you with me today. How can Georgia Tech offer a master's degree in computer science at one-eighth the cost of MA degree programs in other places? I think that's a, it's a great question. Uh, so the, the background here is that Georgia Tech looked around at the at the higher education sector uh, and, and its computer science department, which is one of the top 10 departments in the, in the country, uh, which uh, offers a highly prestigious master's degree. It looked around and it said it thought there was a, a missing piece of the market. So the existing online education market roughly has two models of education. One is free courses, MOOCs, low-cost things where the quality is unclear, no one's really sure what you're getting, whether it helps you in the labor market. That's one model, low cost, but maybe low quality. Another model is that lots of universities offer online degrees, but they always price them at the same price point as their in-person degrees because they don't want to cannibalize their existing revenue streams. So Georgia Tech uh, was convinced that it could do something new. And so um, it uh, partnered with AT&T and Udacity AT&T was a corporate partner that had a lot of internal demand from its own employees for more training, more computer science training. And Udacity is a a, a company that's used to creating the interface for online courses. And it got about a $4 million startup grant from AT&T. And out of it built a program that um, uh, Georgia Tech thought if it could bring to a large enough scale if it could add enough students, then it could bring the, the actual cost per student down to this, this level where the degree as a whole, once you've gone through all the coursework, costs something like $7,000, which is about a sixth the cost of its traditional on-campus program. So it's uh, one-sixth the cost of its own program, yep. much less comparing it to some more expensive places around the country. Uh, Well, when did this begin? So they made the announcement that they were doing this in, uh, I believe, 2013. And the first students started uh, taking courses, uh, I believe, in spring of 2014. Uh, And so um, the program is uh, specifically limited to part-time enrollment. You can do two or at most three courses in a given semester. I see. That's how it keeps itself from cannibalizing 
the on-campus program. I think that's you can, a, you, you do this part-time, not full-time. I think that's a big a big part of it. Um, and so the typical student takes two to three years to finish this degree instead of the single year that a student on the on-campus program might take. Uh, and so we're just beginning to now see students graduating from this program. So the first graduates from the program will be at the end of 2017, 18? They've actually already had people begin to graduate. Um, I believe they've graduated in the hundreds, maybe close to 1,000 at this point. Um, I think by the time the program is sort of fully up and running, so by next year when these cohorts are really uh, beginning to graduate in their full numbers, they'll be graduating roughly 1,000 students a year. So it's a little early to reach any conclusions about whether or not this degree is marketable, whether or not companies uh, are actually going to be willing to hire somebody with uh, an online degree, whether it's going to be competitive with those being offered in the more traditional setting. That's right. I think it is, uh, it's a little early to say that. Uh, we're engaged in some research where we're trying to uh, prepare to study that maybe down the road in a year or two. Um, uh, but for now, I think the, the main thing that we can say, which is quite striking, is uh, that this program has substantially changed the set of educational options available to a particular subset of Americans, namely basically mid-career Americans looking to do further training while not leaving their existing jobs, homes, families. Okay, so that was my next question. Who is taking this degree program as distinct from the people who take the traditional classroom yeah. uh, computer science program. Yeah, so um, so uh, we, we've studied the applicant pools to both of these programs, and a few facts are striking. First of all, there's almost no overlap between the two applicant pools. The set of people who are interested in the online program completely different from the set of people interested in the on-campus well, program. Well, that's part of it is the part-time versus the full-time. That's right. I think the part-time versus full-time has certainly uh, helped to, to separate those groups. Uh, so the just to give you a sense, the on-campus program uh, attract, basically the average enrollee at that program is a 24-year-old student, basically fresh out of college. Majority are from India or China, somewhere, I think, 75, 80%. Uh, the, uh, say that again. The a majority, majority of the on-campus students are from India or China. Why? Uh, I think uh, Georgia Tech's program is extremely prestigious. It's extremely attractive. They, those students get to come to the U.S., get an American-style education, maybe get plugged into the social networks that help when it comes to labor market uh, entry. Um, it may be that the degree is particularly valuable should they choose to return to their home country. Um, but So U.S. citizens are, or Georgia uh, citizens are not clamoring to get into a computer science program being offered by one of their leading universities. So they, they also apply. They just apply in smaller numbers. They're actually, if anything, from our data, the Americans are admitted at a somewhat higher rate to the on-campus program, but the demand from abroad is huge. Of course, there's more people living abroad Fair, than yes. in Georgia. Absolutely, right? yes, right. yes. Uh, okay, so that's... So, so the average on-campus applicant's a 24-year-old yeah. and, and largely from outside the U.S. Yeah. The average applicant to the in-person program is 34 years old, so it's 10 years older, yeah. and 80% of them are American. So the typical applicant is a mid-career American who's looking for additional training, 
and presumably, in fact, we surveyed these applicants and we asked them, what is it about this program that's so appealing? And we gave them a number of choices and it was remarkable how they lined up. The top four choices they picked all were versions of this program is flexible, this program is flexible, this program is flexible, this program is flexible. Then after that it was, oh, and Georgia Tech is a very high quality place and this isn't very expensive. But the flexibility of I don't need to move, I don't need to quit my job, I can do these courses at any time of day because the coursework is fully asynchronous. There's no moment in time when you have to log on. And so these people who have jobs, families, homes find this flexibility extremely appealing. Well, I can understand that, but I, what I don't understand is Georgia Tech's financial model because why don't they charge more money for it? If money's so far down the list, maybe it's not really uh, right. it's a possibility, but it seems to be down the list. Why don't they try, you know, doubling the price, say? that it, It's an interesting question. I, I, um, they, uh, it may be that they made the decision uh, that having this headline that this is an inexpensive degree is was sort of key to attracting attention to the program. Um, and it is clear that some of the students very much appreciate uh, that the low cost allows them in some sense to take a risk with this program that they might not be willing to take in a more expensive program. And so as you said in your intro, even though the whole degree costs something like $7,000, they're actually paying only for each course as they take it. So you can have a student who decides to test the waters and pay the 500 or so dollars for that first course, and if it goes badly, they're out $500, but that's it. And so I, th I think there is an element of uh, the low cost, uh, both making this feasible in total, but also making it more appealing for folks who might not be sure if going back to higher education in the middle of their careers. Is right, the right and thing that to also do. suggests you might get a higher dropout rate, too. Are you getting a higher dropout rate from the online course and from the traditional? Yeah, um, so um, it, it sort of depends on what you want to compare it to. So in the traditional program, the dropout rate is extremely low. You know, my, my memory is that you know, over 95% of students complete that degree. Uh, from what we're seeing in the online data, it looks like those numbers are... Um, at, at least 60%, very possibly substantially higher than that. It's a little too early to tell because students are taking a while to complete these degrees. But so, so the, the persistence rate is, is lower than the on-campus program, although substantially higher than most MOOCs, traditional MOOCs, where something well, like 5% of students Listen now, we, we don't want to go down that path. I have a <laughs> MOOC, and I think we have at least almost a 1%. Complete something. I, I apply. That's that's still that's still many students, right? So, but we're free. We're free, and so you know, actually, if anything do, is do the free, student, do the students get what they pay for? <laughs> you never know. Okay, so you don't have outcome data, but you have done an interesting analysis of uh, who is this, uh, what is the demand, and who's really responding to this opportunity out there. Can you explain your uh, research strategy? Yeah. So, so the the we set out to answer two questions. One was whom does this agree, degree appeal to? And so as I said, we, we found this very clear evidence that appeals to mid-career Americans. But the other question is, uh, if someone ends up doing this particular online degree program, what is that, is that replacing some other educational option they would otherwise have had? And so um, we, we got a bit lucky here. Um, it turns out the admissions uh, officer in charge of the uh, admissions process for the first set of applicants uh, had a process by which he admitted applicants. Um, he, he, he sort of um, 
he ranked the applicants, and at some point there was a cutoff below which he didn't admit people. And so what we were able to do is, is to say, let's look at the people who were just barely rejected from the program and compare them to the people who were just barely admitted. So these people are very, very similar on average. And we, we asked a very simple question, which is, if you were barely rejected from this program, where did you go? Did you go to another institution of higher education? And it turns out the answer was no, that, that for these mid-career Americans, there's basically no other option that they find sufficiently appealing to enroll in. Um, a small number of them go to other institutions, other master's programs, but the vast majority of them, if they don't get into Georgia Tech's program, they don't do any sort of formal training. And in fact, we, we surveyed them. They also don't seem to do any sort of informal training like MOOCs or coding boot camps or some of these other forms of education that are springing up. And so it seems like Georgia Tech has identified a part of the market, that a, part, a, a demand for a certain kind of higher education that has just not been filled before. And so there's a set of mid-career Americans out there for whom Georgia Tech's option is not only the best option, it's in fact the only option. Well, that's what Clay Christensen said. Uh, when he wrote his book uh, with Michael Horn, uh, that uh, this new technology was going to be a disruptive innovation that initially might not be so great, might not be as good as classroom instruction, but it's competing against nothing. So it's certainly probably better than nothing, but is it really competing against nothing? And he didn't really show that, right. but you're suggesting it does look like I think that's what it's doing. I think that's right. I think for this particular set of people, these mid-career Americans with an interest in computer science and, and, um, and technical skills, they don't appear to have other options that allow them to continue working, not to move from their home that they might own, not to uproot their families. Um, and so, yeah, we think we've got some evidence that at least for this group of people, this is a really exciting development. The question is, does it does it predict exciting developments for anyone other than mid-career computer scientists? So why did they reject anybody from the program? Presumably online, you, you could expand infinitely. Uh, what was the reason in that first year that they didn't So they, they um, I think a, a very important point that we haven't touched on yet was one of the reasons people t took this degree seriously as a, as a, a, new, um, a new institution is that uh, the degree that these online students earn at the end is not actually an online degree per se. It is literally the same master's degree that the in-person students earn. So that Georgia Tech is very clear, they don't actually refer to it as a separate degree program, they refer to it as the online pathway to their degree. And so by saying that the online students are going to earn the same degree as the traditional prestigious on-campus program has been uh, um, administering, by saying that Georgia Tech was basically putting its reputation on the line. It's, it's certifying graduates from the online pathway as having exactly the same set of skills. And so they are very um, adamant about quality control, both in terms of whom they admit and in terms of the curriculum and pedagogy that they're delivering to those students. So in terms of uh, admissions, are they, do they claim that they have the same admission standards for the two admissions programs? So it's, it's very hard to tell. I, I think their claim is that uh, by the end of the program, the quality of the students will be similar. The, the reason I say it's hard to tell is um, 
the, for the traditional program, they require things like a GRE score, a standardized test score. They don't require that for the online program, I think in part because of this, uh, all the evidence that each additional barrier you put up to applying to a program, particularly for sort of online programs, is going to reduce the number of people who apply. And the and older you get, the less well you do on those tests. I think I now score, you know, well below uh, just about anybody graduating from high school. Well, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd urge you to apply to Georgia Tech if you're looking for something, <laughs> although I, my sense is the courses are actually pretty hard. Um, so, yes, on that side, what do they do to make sure the instruction is of the same quality? So the, the courses are actually um, designed and administered often by the same faculty that are administering the in-person courses. Um, the curricula are very similar. The assessments and assignments are often the same or very similar. Um, uh, and they, Georgia Tech actually ran one sort of mini experiment uh, to ask the question, are our online students learning similar amounts of material as our in-person students? Um, and so what they did is they actually administered to one class that had been taught both online and in-person, same instructors, same materials, same final exam. They had uh, the final exam graded blindly by uh, staff who didn't know whether a student had taken the course in person or online. And it turned out at, uh, um, that the online students, if anything, slightly outperformed the in-person students. And so Georgia Tech took this as a sign that um, both that the students they were admitting were sufficiently qualified, but also that the pedagogy through the online coursework was working as they intended. Well, how many people are taking this online course? Is this serving a substantial population, or is it still a modest-sized program? Yeah, so um, uh, they have about 3,500 people applying every year. They admit roughly half of those. So you have something like 1,500, 1,600 new students every year joining this program. Um, as I said, they seem to be on the path to graduate about 1,000 such students every year. One way to think about that number is that in the U.S. every year, about 11,000 Americans earn a master's degree in computer science. So if going forward Georgia Tech is producing roughly 1,000 of these degrees every year, uh, and remember these people would not have gotten any sort of degree if not for Georgia Tech, it means that this one program is going to increase the uh, production of Americans with master's degrees in computer science by something like close to 10%. Well, this is very bad news because my son is a computer programmer. It sounds like the price of a computer programmer is going to go down if this program keeps on expanding. You know, unless there are positive spillovers between these folks, maybe they will make him a more productive employee because on a team they'll work together. Or so. maybe because this market is growing so fast that uh, we can be, well, let's be optimistic. Yeah, yeah or we, this way we can uh, have a, our, our own uh, students graduating from our own high schools going into a field that is uh, well paid instead of... Uh, uh, importing talent from abroad. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you, so you're saying basically you think this is a pretty successful online program. Yeah, I think so far, so far the results seem good. The students, there, there continues to be high sustained demand for this thing. The students are graduating. It seems to be a rigorous program. Um, as we said earlier, it's a little bit early to know whether the graduates of this program are going to see benefits in terms of uh, promotions or you know new jobs that they can access, uh, and I think there's a, a particularly large open question about 
whether a, a successful program like this can translate into other fields beyond computer science uh, or to other populations other than mid-career Americans. And so though I think this program has been disruptive, uh, it's not entirely clear yet whether it will disrupt other sectors and other age groups of, uh, uh, within higher education. But it's, it's pregnant with possibilities, because if you can do it for computer science, presumably you can do it for a broader range of uh, subject matter. I, no, that's right. And you, and you see this beginning to happen. So um, uh, a number of higher education institutions that are members of the edX consortium have begun offering what they call micro-master's degrees, which are um, sort of low-cost, small number of courses offered fully online that a student can pay for, will get a, a certificate, maybe called a micro-master's at the end of this, and then potentially use those credits toward a full master's degree if they want to. But the, the model is sort of similar, a sort of uh, a high-quality institution offers a product at relatively low cost, and it does so by offering it at large scale. Well, Josh, this has been a fascinating uh, conversation. You have really uncovered a major new development in higher education. Anything that can bring down the cost of uh, advanced degrees, uh, and if it can do it at the same quality and provide people with job opportunities. I'm looking forward to your next report to see exactly what happens on the ground when these young people, or not so young people, graduate from the Georgia Tech program. We're excited to learn that too. Thank you for joining me today. This has been Josh Goodman, a professor at the Harvard Kennedy School, who's joined me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. Thank you for joining us on the Education Exchange. Thank you. <laughs>